everybody wants everybody else to change. Well, if they just change, then I'll be fine. And it's like, no, you won't. They'll change, but you will remain the same. You'll have the same dysfunctions that you picked up as a survival pattern because of having to live in a dysfunctional system. So no, you're not fine. (laughs) Welcome to the Fierce Authenticity Podcast, where we're illuminating and dismantling all of the ways supremacy culture has impacted our relationships with ourselves, with source, and with others. Not just the overt ways, like racism, sexism, ageism, alcoholism, and all the other isms, but also the sneaky, cunning ways you wouldn't have thought of, like perfectionism, imposter syndrome, judgment, burnout, the not enoughs, and the hustle to achieve. I'm your hostess, Sharani M. Batuk, and I'm a relationship therapist, leadership development consultant, and author of the book series, Fierce Authenticity. Whether you're a returning listener or you're new here, I want to extend a very warm welcome to you and invite you to connect with me through the Fierce Authenticity newsletter community. If you're ready to rise above an inherited systematic invasion rooted in fear and lack so that you can calm and refocus those energies towards reclaiming a fiercely authentic personal relationship grounded in an abundance and love that is so radiant all your other relationships are elevated with you, then this is the space for you. I invite you to visit www.fierceauthenticity.com connect to join me. I'm so excited that you're here. And now let's dive in. Welcome back to a brand new season of the Fierce Authenticity Podcast. I am so excited to be here with you today with the release of our very first episode for season three. We have been at it for almost a year and a half, about 15 months or so since the podcast launched. And here we are on season three three. And it is so exciting to be here with you, bring this new episode to you, bring several new episodes to you actually, and to just be in the space and be in community with you again in this way. Over the last several months, I have been super, super focused in this really inward space creating, putting together all of the pieces of the puzzle and writing my next book, Fierce Authenticity 2.0, Supremacy's Impact on Our Relationships. And if you heard the preseason episodes, then you know we are currently in an early supporters campaign. The book is in pre-publication right now, and I am inviting you as my community to come together and join me in this movement um, by supporting us and helping to uplift that movement. So at the end of September 2021 is how long the campaign will be open for you to get in as an early supporter 
of the book and the publication of this book. And to learn more about that, you can visit the link in the show notes or head on over to www.fierceauthenticity.com slash on the journey. That's where you can learn about how you can join as a founding, contributing member of this very important movement. And I'm not going to spend too much time today talking about it because all the links are in the show notes. And I want to actually introduce you to our first guest. You guys, I decided to just go ahead and start season three off with a bang by just jumping straight into this very powerful conversation I had with one of my dear mentors, someone I have spoken about on the podcast time and time again over the last 15 months. You know, it was about a year ago that I shared with you that I am going to have this woman on our podcast. And lo and behold, several months ago, she and I had an opportunity to sit down and have this conversation. And she was so generous with sharing her story and sharing parts of herself and her process and her journey, as well as what makes her work so important in this world. Now, I bet you have an inkling as to who it is, and I will read you her formal bio at this point. Milagros Phillips is delivering transformative programs and creating space to engage in difficult conversations. From corporate leaders to members of Congress, Milagros designs strategic learning programs for clients seeking to enhance equity and inclusion by adding race literacy to their EI initiatives. Her programs use history, science, research, and storytelling to create compelling, life-transforming experiences that lead to understanding. With more than 30 years of experience in learning and development, Milagros consults, designs programs, and facilitates programs across many industries and services. Milagros is an artist and talk show producer and host, and she is also a TEDx speaker and does all these other amazing programs that you've probably heard me talk about. She does these workshops and has a two-day program and You'll hear her and I speak about it in our episode today, but she's also the author of now four books. And the one that we spoke about in today's conversation that you're going to hear, she was still working on that book. However, since the time of that conversation, her book has officially formally launched. It is out there, or her most recent book has officially formally launched. It is out there. And that most recent book is called Cracking the Healer's Code, a prescription for healing racism and finding wholeness. I want to give you just a tiny brief about what this book is so that you can know where our conversation is and to get you excited for her book as well. So Cracking the Healer's Code, A Prescription for Healing Racism and Finding Wholeness, walks you through the stages of healing and invites you to apply the stages to your life, organizations, workplace, and communities. 
It's an invitation to take your rightful place in the human family, to create a vision of a more equitable future, and then work towards that vision. Some quotes that I want to share with you from the book are, quote, while racism is a problem for people of color, it is not the problem of people of color. Therefore, people of color cannot solve racism, end quote. And she and I definitely talk about that in our conversation that you're going to hear shortly. Another quote is, quote, we've been told many stories about race and racism, most of them untrue. The bad news is that we're excellent learners. The good news is that we are excellent learners. We can replace what we've learned with new and different information. And we talk about that as well. I mean, our conversation was pretty brief, just under 45 minutes. And if you've been here a while, you know that my interview episodes typically tend to to go a little long. And this conversation with Milagros and I was just about under 45 minutes. And we touched on so many different topics and subjects and And it just all comes together in such a powerful and beautiful way that I just knew this was the episode. This was the conversation I wanted to start our new season with, especially now that we are super focused on what it is that we're doing here. You know, we are illuminating and dismantling all of the ways supremacy culture has impacted us and our relationships, how it shows up inside of us in some of those sneaky and subtle ways that you don't even realize or recognize and how it shows up inside of us and how we then go out in the world and put that on other people, further perpetuating the violence, the interpersonal and personal violence that keeps us under these systems of oppressions and keeps us in conditions that arise from things like racism and discrimination and alcoholism and addiction and just the violence and and the hate and all of that. So this is the perfect episode the perfect conversation to start with because it really just sets that stage. And I want to share a quote with you from the actual conversation I had with Milagros. I mean, literally, when you get to this part of the episode, you will hear me speechless and just soaking in and absorbing what she said. And I want to read it to you because What she says is, this work is about how we relate to the human family, how we relate to one another, how we relate to the cousins who don't look like us, how we relate to the cousins that live in completely different economic background than we do. How do we relate to those people? It is the work of relationships. But ultimately, it's how do we relate to ourselves And how do we relate to ourselves in such a way that allows us to connect with another human being in an authentic way? You guys, that is a direct quote from Milagros at one point during our conversation. And I had to pull that out and speak it out loud to you before we dive in, because this here is exactly 
what Fierce Authenticity and Fierce Authenticity 2.0 is really about. I mean, how do we connect with another human being in an authentic way? We have to learn everything that is not authentic to us so that we can allow ourselves to show up and be seen in an authentic way with other humans as part of our human family. And we're doing the work of relationships. I mean, I'm a relationship therapist. That has been my training. I also do consulting with organizations on relationships and diversity, equity, inclusion stuff. And it always ultimately comes down to our relationships with ourself, with source, and with others. And how everything that we have experienced impacts us on a personal and interpersonal level. And so with that, I'm just so excited for you to listen in on this conversation between Milagros and myself. And you can find all the links in the show notes and or you could just simply visit www.milagrosphillips.com. And without any further delays or me chitty chatting, because y'all know I can talk, I present to you. Milagros Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. I am so beyond excited to introduce you today to a dear mentor, a woman I have come to know and I have spoken about so often on the podcast, and I am just beyond excited to be introducing her to you. I know that in the fall, I had put it out there that I am going to one day have this guest on with us, and here she is. Milagros Phillips. Milagros, welcome to the Fierce Authenticity Podcast. It is such a gift to have you with us. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. It's taken me a while, but here I am. <laughs> yes, here you are. And I've shared about you and your work with listeners on the podcast. And I would love for you to give a brief introduction yourself in your own words so our listeners can get to know you better. Wow. That's a hard one. I don't even know where to begin. I right? like once you've been on the planet over 50 years, it's sort of like, oh, where do you start? <laughs> um, yeah, so I've been doing this work for about 30 years, um, more than 30 years, actually, more than 35 years. When I, to, I keep saying more than 30 years because it's like it really dates me when I go into the 35 range. But anyway, I, <laughs> I love this work. I'm passionate about it. One of the things that I tell people is that my calling is healing racism but my passion is transformation. So my work is really a combination of both of those things and the information that I've used on my own healing journey and that which I have also used to help heal, um, you know, give people information so they can be self-healing um, and self-transforming. And, um, you know, I've had like, I don't know, a few thousand people go through my programs, especially the two-day program. So, yeah, I, I love this work. Um, I'm actually an artist, which I think is so funny because it's like, oh, yeah. It's like, you know, when people ask, so where did you learn this stuff? And where did you go to school to study it? I didn't. Life. That's where I cut my teeth is mm. an actual, real um, lived experiences that uh, led to my awareness that I needed healing. And even getting to that point was a journey because 
I didn't realize that I needed healing, but I had done enough personal self-help work that eventually I realized, wow, I need healing. (laughs) (laughs) And then that began a new journey. And it was that part of the journey that led me to realize that I, I really need to do something about the racism piece. And Milagros, please tell us a little bit more about when you say healing racism, what is, what does that even mean? Yeah, well, a lot of people do anti-racism these days and anti-racism has been around uh, for a while. Um, It's great work. It's much needed work. Anti-racism is talking about the institutional and systemic parts of racism and the way that it affects people on a regular basis. Um, and it, it, it covers a little bit, like, you know, certainly it covers the civil rights movement. And, and there's, of course, conversation about slavery and that kind of thing. But mostly it's about how all those things impact us today. Healing racism is different. Healing racism is more about the personal journey. It's about how we've internalized racism. Because racism is institutional and systemic, just like you learn and experience when you're doing anti-racism, but it's also internalized, personal, and interpersonal. And what healing racism does is it covers the information that you get in anti-racism, because obviously you need that information, but, but what I do is I take people beyond that to understand how and why and when all of this stuff got started that then led into that led to slavery and led to racism, you know, you know, so I take people on a, on a much um, longer historical journey. And then I bring them back through the layers of the healing process. And that, what that entails, I mean, the, the reason people need healing is because something's wrong, something's off, something's dysfunctional, something hurts, there's pain around it. There's, you know, and when you think about, Racism, it obviously covers all of those and more, right? And so healing is about looking at the ways in which racism hurts individuals, regardless of the color of their skin. Racism is about being discerning and understanding whose disease it is that we're dealing with and our role in colluding with the dysfunction. So I look at um, racism from the perspective of the family model, the dysfunctional family model, because we're one human family, right? And you may not like the cousins, but they're still your cousins, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. And so so it really is looking at it through um, the perspective of what happens in a family when someone has an addiction, let's say, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, in how you may have one person that has the addiction, but that addiction affects the entire family. And so it is with racism. Racism is a white problem. Racism is a problem for people of color. It is not the problem of people of color. So whites have to solve the racism piece. The Stockholm syndrome, the um, you know, colorism, and all of the things that people of color have adopted as a result of living in a racialized system, that's the piece that they have to heal. So ultimately, everybody has to heal because the problem has affected everyone in the human family. And so everyone needs to to do their 
their own healing work at that. Um, <clears throat> it's not one of those things where you can just let someone else do the healing for you. You actually have to do the healing yourself. <laughs> yes, I'm chuckling over here because, yeah, people think that healing uh, just magically can happen, right? That it's not going to hurt. But this is centuries upon centuries of hurt that we we dig into, right? And some chuckling because, yeah, other people definitely cannot do the healing work. But we always want to point fingers and say, well, it's them or it's them, right? And then we want to deflect and then we don't take ownership for what is ours, which keeps us in that disempowered place from my perspective. Yeah, that's just the way it is. It's like it is what it is. You, as long as you're pointing fingers, you're off balance. Because your hands and your arms are not at, right at your side. And when you're off balance, you're not doing your own healing work. Mm. Because the healing work is about coming to balance. So a lot of what needs to happen is people have to take personal responsibility. Not blame, not shame, not guilt, but personal responsibility for how they absorb their share of the dysfunction. Because this is not it's not like you can blame anyone for this stuff. It's been going on for hundreds of years. And as a result of going on for hundreds of years, people have internalized it. But unless people are willing to take personal responsibility, you can't do the healing work. Yeah. And the healing work is about what am I doing to collude with this? How am I helping to maintain the dysfunction? What is it that I need to do differently? Because you can't expect change if you're not willing to change. Because I think that's the other thing that happens is everybody wants everybody else to change. Well, if they just change, then I'll be fine. And it's like, no, you won't. They'll change, but you will remain the same. You'll have the same dysfunctions that you picked up as a survival pattern because of having to live in a dysfunctional system. So no, you're not fine. <laughs> you know? And here's the other piece about this. It's like, it isn't like there's something inherently wrong with people is that they have, in fact, if, if it says anything about us as a human family is we're great learners. We were just badly taught. That's just the reality. We're great learners, but we were badly taught. So now we have to unlearn and now learn something new, something that will really help us to move to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. And that is so important about that personal accountability piece, right? And how every single person has been impacted. And before we hit record, I was just sharing with you about how some people just like, it's not my work, right? Especially a lot of bodies of color. It's not my work. That's for white people to solve. That's for them over there, right? And and I appreciate how you broke it down. Like racism is white people's problem. That's all the systemic stuff. That's the institutional stuff. Like that's over there. But every person needs to heal the internalized ways. And I, and I love the word that you're using, that we've colluded with this system. Oh, and people didn't, like, people aren't even aware. They're not conscious of the fact that they're colluding. They just, it's automatic now. Like, you don't have to, you know, it's, it's Pavlov's dogs, right? <laughs> you ring the bell and everybody salivates. This is it, right? Like, that's what we keep doing. And the thing is that we're not conscious of it, right? Because we don't really have context for it. Like certain behaviors, we don't have context for that because we've not been told the history. We've not learned the history. We've not, you know, and, and as long as we don't know what, what we and our ancestors did in the past, we keep repeating the pattern 
without realizing that that's what we're doing. And in fact, we think we're creating something brand new that's never been seen before. I, you know, I always joke like my my kids were younger. They would be listening to something on their CDs or whatever. And they're like, oh, I love this song. This is really cool. And I would start singing the song and I knew all the words. And they're like, you know this song? I'm like, yeah, they made that thing up when I was a kid. <laughs> They thought it was a brand new song. And it's like, no, it's not. It's been around for a while. You know, but if you don't have context, you don't know. And that the problem, one of the one of the many problems with racism is that people don't know what they don't know. And if they're not open. And I think that's such an important part. If they're not open, right, we have to be open in order to do the work. Um, There's a phrase that I learned from the recovery community. How do we work this program? How? By being honest, open and willing. And I have found that to be so true of my experience with your work and being a student and a participant and learning with you and healing with you and growing with you. And one of the pieces that I, I really appreciate about your work, and it, I mean, I just love your work, period. Total fangirling over here. You're welcome. And it's the race literacy piece. Like that is something that you cover that I find a lot of other folks don't cover. And you're not just talking about back to the 60s or 70s. Like your race literacy goes all the way back. And um, like you talk about axiology and all this other stuff. And it just blows my mind um, that... And, and that, that is the, the missing information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I started uh, the, the book that's coming out in August, which is Cracking the Healer's Code, a prescription for healing racism and finding wholeness. I started that book 18 years ago. And in the last, I don't know, five, six years, I've written three books, not that one, <laughs> <laughs> three other books. Over the years, I, I always felt like, oh, you know, I really need to finish that book. But there was a part of me that that was really struggling with why do I put in that book? Because that book uses so many, like that work, the work itself. I, I've pulled from all these different modalities to create this tapestry that makes perfect sense for people, right? Mm-hmm. Because we, you know, it, it's more than just, oh, it's got to appeal to the audio learners, the visual learners. The, it's more than that. It's the, what are the pieces to this puzzle that will help us get it, you know? And so, so, so I created this thing that helps people to get it. And in fact, a, a couple of weeks ago, I had like a little celebration that we did on the web. It was a town hall for the Race to Mystify program, which is now 20, the first time I did was in 2001. So that program is now 20 years old. It's still the same program the found, because the foundations are there. So it's the same program. Some of the information has changed because as I grow and I learn and more information is made available, you know, the, the, the book, the, the two-day program actually, which is what the book is based on, that has science, history, spirituality has it's a very holistic look at racism and it comes from all these different pieces you know the you know how does latitude affect your attitude how does you know like all of these various pieces are in that book and it creates a tapestry that helps people get it and so that book is actually based on 
that program, which I developed when I had been doing this work for 15 years. And I just sat one day and I was like, what is it that people need? What will help people get it? And there were people that attended that, that town hall that had done this program 20 years ago. Wow. 20 years ago. They've never forgotten it. They still talk about it. Every once in a while, I'll get an email from somebody who did this work. Like, I can't even tell you when. You know, I went to a funeral in D.C., couple of years ago and somebody was introducing me to a group of folks and there was a fellow there and he goes, Oh, you're Milagros Phillips. And I said, yeah. And I'm thinking he went to one of my programs. Right. And I said, do I know you from one of the programs? He goes, no, I haven't been to your programs. My boss talks about you all the time. So I said, well, who's your boss? So he gave me his, and I was like, Oh my God, what really? He went through that program. It had been 10 years, mm-hmm. 10 years ago, he went through that program and he still talked about it. Because what happens is my thing with this work is everybody wants to keep it in their head, but you have to allow it to take a 12 inch drop. You have to let it get into your heart because that's where the transformation happens. Cause that's when you, that's when your body is open enough to feel it and, and to really um, get in touch with not just what's happening in your head, but what's happening in your body as you begin to unravel the stuff that you've learned about this stuff, right? And so for me, this work is about giving people context so they can ground the work in something valuable so that it lasts a lifetime. Mm-hmm. So in two days, because he didn't do the follow-up program, but in two days he was transformed enough that the program stayed with him, it, you know, pretty much it'll stay with him all his life. And, and he still can quote from it, which I thought was so phenomenal, you know, that 10 years ago, he's still talking to his employees about blah, 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 that he learned in this two-day program with Galagos Phillips. It was really funny. But, but I, um, that happens a lot. Like, I get calls and things from people who did this work a long, long time ago because it's impacted their lives. And my goal when I first created that particular program was I knew what had impacted me and what had changed my life. And when I first saw Dr. Father Clarence Williams, who was one of my mentors that I, I work with, I've had very few mentors in my life, but he was somebody who I knew got it. And when I read his, it was actually his PhD work that he had turned into a book and it was called Recovery from Everyday Racisms with an S at the end. And, and it was powerful and it was transformative. And I went and I trained with him. So I became one of the trainers that could facilitate the program. And after a while, he sort of let me do my thing with it because I had all these other ideas and, you know, because I, that I had lived that, right? So I understood it from a lot of different perspectives. And so I had asked his permission to change one of the stages. And, and since then, I've developed my own stages. Like I've added to those stages because I realized that there were some things that happened before we get to that deeper level. And then there's some things that happen afterwards. Like you said, you know, you came to that program and you left and you were inspired and thinking, oh, wow, I can, you know, here's something I can do. Right. And that's what I want for people in those two days. I want them to be able to come out of there knowing you are not a victim. I know you've been victimized. Mm -hmm. And, And that also goes for white people, because I think that they think that only people of color have been victimized by racism. They don't realize that they're oppressed too. 
It's just that their oppression is hidden behind privilege, so they don't even see it, <laughs> you know, and neither does anybody else because everybody's going well, but they have all the privilege, but they have to pay for that privilege. And there are levels at which and there are ways in which and it depends on where you fall in that system as well, you know, because you could be one of the one percent and you and you could be, um, you know, a poor person living somewhere in the U.S. that, you know, you could be a poor white person. Um who also says, you know, I don't have any privilege because I'm poor, but it's like, no, that's not, we're not talking financial privilege. We're talking melanin privilege, the lack thereof, you know, the less you have, the more privilege you get, you know, and, and how you can just, you know, wash your face, put on a suit and walk in somewhere. And because you're white, they're going to just think that you belong there. Where if you're a brown skinned person, they automatically, even if you do belong there, because you have a job there, they're going to automatically feel like, well, I never see you before. Where'd you come from? And let me call the police. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's a completely different level of exp- experiencing the world. So, yeah, I, I like the way you said that. It's like not the privilege of money. It's the privilege of melanin and how the less of melanin you have, the greater privilege you have. Right. And it's a really powerful way of stating it. And and I also loved the way you talked about like the tapestry, like so beautifully weaving together all these different realms like science and history and just all the other realms that you that you said. And I got goosebumps when you said that, because as someone who has experienced your work over the last year, both in your workshops and in your two-day, that is very much accurate, right? It does feel like that tapestry, it comes together, it makes sense, it weaves. And it's funny because when you introduced yourself, you said, and I'm an artist and I don't know how that all plays in together, but that's where your artistry comes in is to weave it together so beautifully to make that tapestry and to make it in a way that we understand, right? Like there is coherence in in art. Well, you know, it's so funny because it wasn't until now. Uh, in fact, I was filling out a form for, uh, you know, I, I just put one of my courses on one of those places where you can post your courses and it's called Tablet Wise. And I was just filling out my information and, you know, it asked for education. It was like, who cares? But I did put in <laughs> that I went to FIT, I, you know, I studied art in, in like music and art high school in New York. And then I went to Fashion Institute of Technology. And then I went to another college to get another degree. But, but I always mention FIT because that was like, you know, that's like the love of my life. So I have a degree in fashion design. You just helped me put something in perspective because I've always talked about weaving that tapestry. I link the art in general because I paint, you know, so that you know, like I see, I don't see things in just black and white. I see hues and the very fine shades of gray that only have like a little drop of black in the white to make it gray and everything else in between because you're taught how to see, right? Like one of the first things you're taught when you're an artist is how to see. But it wasn't until just now that I put together my training with fabric, being a fabric artist. I had never put that together with this work because that is what I take, you know, the warp and the, like I, I literally from all these various places, I bring all these threads together. And then I, I, I weave a program that allows people to see this and feel it and sense it and experience it in a whole new way by having depth of context, by seeing that the stuff the experiences that we've had with race have not changed the core of who you are. 
the reason that we are resilient isn't just because we're resilient. We are resilient because there's something inside of us that will not die, that doesn't really know no or can't, right? Like there is this part of us and it's part of the promise of being in a human body is that there's something inside of you. We are not our problems, You know what I mean? We have problems, but we are not the problem. The problem, which is usually the behavior, right, comes from something that has happened to us. And if we don't take that into consideration, then we're doing ourselves and the world a disservice. Because, you know, who we are is extraordinary. That is why we have resilience, because we are extraordinary, you know, and that the stuff that happens can never, it, it cannot extinguish that light. Even in, in the worst of times and in the worst of cases, that light is still there. You may not be able to find it because you have so many things on top of it where you can no longer even see it, right? But that doesn't mean that it isn't there. It is always there. That's what allows us to heal and to transform and to come into our personal power and to realize, I mean, this whole thing with racism and all, you know, all of these isms, they're all about not being enough. That's the underlying message is you're not enough. You're not tall enough, white enough, black enough. You're just not enough. The thing to always remember is I am enough. Just as I am, not because of what I do, not because of the degrees I have, not, not because of the, any of that. If I breathe, I'm enough. I'm enough. And it's that owning of the wholeness of the self that allows us to transform, that allows us to always be able to access that. But a lot of us have forgotten how to do that. So that's really what the work is. The work is coming back or or coming maybe even for the first time in our lives into our power as human beings and knowing that we are enough. We are enough to transform a dysfunctional system. We are enough. Yes. And that is so important, that reminder that we are enough, that inherently inside that light still exists. It hasn't been extinguished by all of the stuff that we have experienced living in this dysfunctional, chaotic world that has taught and um, like just passed on these systems and these problems and these behaviors and the ways we've internalized them. And I, it makes me think of what you were saying, that depth of context, right? I know that you teach this and I've also learned this from Resma Menikem about decontextualized trauma and decontextualized experiences, right? Because your tapestry brings together just like you said, that depth of context on so many levels. And and it, as I'm hearing you, I'm reminded that, you know, the work that you do is not just about healing from the mind space, right? You talked about that 12-inch drop from the head to the heart, and the heart is really where we transform. And it makes me think of how um, your work is actually deeply spiritual work. Yeah. I mean, I really do come from, um, from, from like, that's when people, again, going back to people saying to me, oh, you know, um, 
do you have a training training program? And it's like, yeah, I do, but it isn't what you think it is. That program is about reaching into the depth of your power as more than just a physical being, but as a, as a spiritual being having a human experience as, as um, has been written before. So it is about that journey that allows you to have access to the totality of yourself and, and the, the greatness of who you are. And it's, you know, you just walking that path. Cause I mean, for me, I came at it really through the back door because <laughs> the reason I was doing all that spiritual work and I became a Reiki master and teacher and I became a sound therapist and taught sound therapy to a bunch of people and was a teacher of A Course in Miracles and meditation teacher. I did all of those things because I didn't want to do race work. (laughs) 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 But really, it was my intuition guiding me into the necessary foundation for me to be able to do this work from compassion Mm -hmm. and understanding and, and to be able to really help to open people up because you know as we're always saying you can't legislate people's hearts right like we've had laws that say do not commit murder like since moses okay like we've (laughs) always had those things there right that doesn't keep people from killing other people what keeps people from killing other people is having enough of a consciousness not to not do it you know what i mean it isn't it isn't state guided and this is the piece that people don't seem to get about laws like you know, we have laws for people not, you know, we've had laws for people not stealing. It doesn't take keep people from taking other people's property. What keeps people from taking other people's property is having enough of a consciousness that says, I don't want to do that. Hmm. It doesn't feel right to do that. Something's off with, even if you don't know, it's like your body tells you there's something off with this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it's like, I don't want to do it because I'm not going to feel good as once I, you know, like it's just, that's that's where the work is. It's getting back to that because you can write as many laws as you want. People break laws every day. So it is, you can't legislate anti-racism and think that's going to be it. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. We need to do that because sometimes that becomes a deterrent. Like, oh, I won't go to jail. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that then becomes a deterrent. But the reality of the day-to-day and how we treat other people has to do with our own consciousness and has to do with what we understand and what we know. And a lot of the times when it comes to racism, because people have been so badly taught, they think they're doing the right thing. Especially white people. They do things thinking they're, you know, like, like even something as innocent as saying, I don't see color. I mean, what they're trying to tell you is I I see everybody the same. And it's like, well, we're not all the same. And I have color. (laughs) Like like you're telling me you're not seeing me. But but where where that person may be coming from is this desire to connect. Like -hmm. like we're one in the same kind of thing. Like they don't understand that we've lived in 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 the same world, but in different continents. you know, even if you're, you're the neighbor next door, we're still living in different continents, you know. So there is a, um, in, in some cases, it's innocence, and in some places, it's ignorance, right? <laughs> like with ignorance, there's something you're ignoring. The, the word ignorance comes from the word ignore. And so what is it that you're ignoring that's keeping you trapped in that ignorance that then allows you to do and say things 
that just aren't right. So the whole thing is, you know, I keep calling it that evolution, right? Like we have to evolve. So this is a racial evolution. And I'm always asking people, you know, come join the racial evolution because it'll transform your life. And it transforms people's personal relationships. Because and we were talking about this before, the work of racism is the work of relationship. It's about how we relate to the human family, how we relate to one another, how we relate to the cousins that don't look like us, how we relate to the cousins that live in a completely different economic background than we do. How do we relate to those people? It is the work of relationship. But ultimately, is how do we relate to ourselves? And how do we relate to ourselves in such a way that allows us to connect with another human being in an authentic way? Milagros. I just feel a total mic drop right there. Mic drop. <laughs> hey, we're probably at our time, aren't we? <laughs> Almost. We're, we're about to wrap up. And I think that's just such a beautiful place because you're saying ultimately this is the work of relationships and how we relate to one another and how we treat others and to see and acknowledge the that we've lived totally, we might live in the same planet, but we've lived in totally different worlds, right? You called it continents, but I just whatever you just said totally landed in, in just this most beautiful way. And I don't even remember what you said at this point. When I re-listen to this recording, it'll be like, oh, right, that part. But whatever you just said felt like the moment where boom. Yeah, we need to love ourselves enough that's to do the internal work. That was what you said. That's, that's the piece that's really going to transform it all. Because you know what? When people get to that place where they can sense their wholeness and they start to live out of that wholeness, you don't have to tell them not to steal. They don't want to. You don't have to tell them not to kill other people. They don't want to. You know what I'm saying? Like human beings are wired for love and bliss and connection. That is who we are naturally. The dysfunction has fed us other stuff, but who we really are at our core is that. When you get people back to core, you don't have to make them do the right thing. They just do it because they feel it. They sense it and they know that it's the right thing to do. We are constantly having to coerce. And there's even, I mean, we even search for peace through violence. And it's like, you're not going to get there. Like you're going down ugly road and you may not find your way back. That's not where it is. It isn't over there. It's over here. It's inside of you. Peace is a living energy that lives inside each and every single human being. And we have access to it 24-7, 365, no matter what is happening. We have access to it. And we can choose it. There are times when it's a lot harder to choose it than at other times, okay? But that doesn't mean that it isn't there. It just means that it's harder to choose it because we're so focused on whatever the pain is or the dysfunction or the whatever, right? But the reason we can't find peace in the world is because peace ain't lost. We are. <laughs> it's like you, peace never went anywhere. It's always there. And when you choose to access it, you can. That's why I have people do those little exercise things, you know, the difference between racism and peace, the reason between anger and peace. Because what you learn is that you can shift to different states of consciousness just like that. And knowing that is powerful because you can allow yourself to feel the anger and to feel the frustration and to be present with what you're feeling. But then you don't have to poison the entire well because that's what you're feeling. 
because you learn to, it's like, yeah, I am angry about that. And, and, and you learn to accept yourself in your anger and in your frustration. And then you learn to breathe. And then you learn to access peace. And you can choose that at any given moment. We have access to that. We are such incredibly powerful beings. So that's what the work is. The work is, there's a wonderful line, and I'm going to botch it up because I don't remember the exact quote in The Course in Miracles, but basically what it says is, you don't have a need to search for love. What you have a need for is clearing away all of the stuff that stands in the way of your experiencing love. Because love is omnipresent. It doesn't go anywhere. It's always available, but you have to learn to focus on it. So it's a choice. You can choose peace. You can choose love. You can choose these different states of consciousness that bring peace to your mind, your body, your spirit, and your emotions. And they make you more coherent. They align your head and your heart and your body. And that's why we're here. We live in this extraordinarily beautiful planet with amazing human beings who are part of the human family. And what we've created is a way of separating ourselves from each other. When in reality, we're supposed to be learning from one another because everyone has gifts to offer us and we have gifts for them. But if, if we can't even sit in the same room and have a conversation, those gifts never get exchanged. And those gifts aren't just the words we say or, or the physical things we exchange with one another. Those gifts are the energy that we bring to the conversation, the energy that we give that gift with, the energy that we use to communicate whatever it is that we need to communicate. Those are gifts that we have for one another. So I'm really hoping that people will get that. Because we are such extraordinary, beautiful, funny, wonderful beings. And we're here to enjoy each other's company in the physical form. Like, what's it like to be human? Mm. Here we are. And we are missing it because we're wasting all this time and all this crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. And Milagros, with that, I just... I just feel that sense of peace in my body just hearing you speak about that. And I think this is a beautiful spot for us to start wrapping up because just that peace within us and the experience of relating with one another and the gifts that we can bring each other just simply by our presence and the energy with which we bring it, right? And so Milagros, I want to say thank you so much for sharing your gift with us, not only here on the podcast, but also with the world and for answering your calling all those years that you didn't want to do racism work. And here you are. Just thank you so much for sharing your gift with us. And I know that you working with you and healing and learning and unlearning with you has definitely healed me on so many levels. And I truly appreciate that. And I know that our listeners listening in are going to feel something shifted within them. And before we let listeners know where they can learn more about your work and where they can purchase your book, is there any other words you would like to leave our listeners with? Do the work. You're worthy. You're more than worthy. 
of clearing this stuff so that you can find that essence of love for all humanity that lives inside of you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate it. You are so welcome, Milagros. And with that, I just want to say I feel the goosebumps and the chills as you say that. Do the work because you are worthy. We are worthy. Now, where can people go to learn more about you, your work, not only your book that's coming out, Cracking the Healer's Code, but also the other three books that you have? Where can people go to learn? Yeah, so you can go to milagrosphillips.com. So that's www.milagrosphillips.com. Milagrosphillips.com. And you'll find the information about the two-day program there, information about my current three books. You'll learn a little bit more about the upcoming book and also a listing under courses of the courses that we have coming up, um, as well as some courses that you can access on video uh, recording. And so, um, so lots of Lots of stuff out there. I'm also on YouTube and on Facebook. Um, please join my Instagram page because I never remember to remind people to <laughs> join me on Instagram. I only have a few people on there because I never tell people join me on Instagram. But please do join me on Instagram. And I look forward to connecting with your audience. Thank you so much. Thank you. And all of the links will be in the show notes. It'll be really easy for uh, listeners to access those. And again, with my whole heart, Milagros, thank you. Thank you. I want to take a moment to honor and acknowledge the amazing support team that helps make this podcast possible for you. Starting with Diego Velasquez, our podcast editor and the talented artist who created our custom music. Ana Olvina, my wonderful assistant who creates all of our beautiful graphics and the transcript of every episode, which you can find over at www.fierceauthenticity.com. Biana Sandich, who writes our amazing show notes and does it so well that I bet you couldn't tell it wasn't me. The talented Jillian at Epoxy Studios, whose photography is our cover art and pretty much every other curated image that you see of me on social media. My husband, who puts up with me when it's 11.30 p.m. on a Sunday night and I'm like, hey babe, I gotta record a podcast episode. Like, right now. Is that okay? My higher power, whose divine wisdom flows through me to bring these messages to you. And last but not least, I want to thank you, my listener, so much for listening in. If you'd like to join the podcast support team, some ways you can do so are by rating and reviewing the podcast, sharing it with everyone you know, and if possible, making a financial contribution through the link in the show notes so that you too can be part of the team elevating this podcast and making it possible to bring to other listeners like you. I'm sending you so much love and we will be together again soon. Mm -hmm.